About three years ago, uh, I went to our, uh, the local gym, the local rec center to work out. Well, as you can tell, it's been about three years. Uh, but I went there and I was getting ready to do my normal workout routine such as it is, and I noticed that they had added some new equipment. And I'm always interested in this because I'm a little bit of an electronics geek, and I've noticed that all the new workout equipment always has something really cool, some sort of electronic gadget now that they've added to it. So I'm always just really aware when they add something new. And they had added uh, some new uh, exercise bikes. And these were the kind of bikes that you sit down on in a, in a seat and just and, and pedal, which I hadn't ever really done much with before because I just didn't think they looked cool. You know, and I, and I feel like I needed, needed to at least, you know, if you're going to go put the time in at the gym, you need to at least do exercises that look cool. And I'm sure nobody was even paying attention. But I, I really felt like, you know, I, I want to make sure that I do this stuff. But, but now that they've added this huge screen to this thing, now I'm very interested in it. So I walk up to it, and I'm kind of scoping it out and seeing what it's all about. Turns out this is like a virtual reality uh, biking sort of experience where you get to dial in where you want to bike and 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 they have little different tracks you can down you know you can bike through downtown China or you can you can bike through the the Himalayas or all these different things you know all these different courses and there are people alongside cheering for you which you know I find very encouraging and so I, I think well I've got to be a part of this right you know I've got to, I, I really I really want to do this it looks very interesting to me oh by the way I, I learned very quickly that in elevations up and down elevations they they change the resistance on on the bike so when you're going up there's a lot of resistance and when you're going downhill uh, then the resistance lessens so this is this is very cool I mean this is like you know 21st century stuff and I'm getting to be a part of it I'm pretty excited so I take my my water bottle you know I set it down and I, I get on the bike and it asks me a series of questions. It asks where I want to bike, and I pick the mountain course because I'm stupid. Uh, I'm like, yeah, all these other courses I could have chosen, and I'm like, no, I think I want to bike through the mountains, you know? And then it asks how far you want to go, and I think, well, you know, if I'm running on a track, I run right around three miles or so pretty, pretty easily. So I figure a bike is easier, so I program it for five miles, right? Five miles through the mountains. This is just not, this is not a day where my logic was really fully functioning, but I'm giving it my best shot. And then it asks, how do you want to be paced? Now, this is where I really let myself down because I should have just said, I don't want to be. And that was one of the options. You could just say, no, I don't want to be paced. I'll just do it at my own thing. But one of the options was to be paced by the average person of your age and weight. Now, when I put my age and weight, and I fudged a little on my weight, but still, I figure I can probably leave this guy in the dust. I mean, average to me sounds like average. I should be able to really beat this guy. So here I am. I'm biking through the Himalayas. I'm trying to go five miles through, through this mountain course, trying to beat this other person my age, my weight-ish, uh, and this guy leaves me behind in the dust. I'm trying to catch up to the guy, and I'm really pushing myself pretty hard. You know, I'm, I'm not exactly a bodybuilder, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to keep up. Every once in a while, the screen zooms out, and you see the entire mountain course, and so you kind of see what your overall progress is. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, at least I'm a quarter of the way there. And I remember thinking how awesome it was when I was halfway. I'm thinking to myself, I made it this far. If I can make it this far again, I'll make it across the finish line, you know, and I just keep inching closer and closer towards the end. Right as I'm getting towards the finish line, I'm starting to get tired. Oh, this is church, I can't lie. I was starting to pass out. Um, <laughs> this is truth. Uh, but, but I did. I finally get across the finish line, and I'm like, yes, I did it. Five miles in the mountains on, on the bike. I got to my destination. And then the screen went blank. And I looked around, and I recognized 
There's my water bottle. I was right where I started. Five miles I just biked, and I was right where I started. If I had gotten on a bike somewhere in Wichita, I could have actually gotten somewhere. I could have been at Freddy's Frozen Custard, you know, would have been negating the whole experience, but I could have been there, you know? But I, I was really, of course, when you're working out, this is what you expect, right? You expect you're gonna, you know, you're gonna put a lot of work in, you're gonna be right where you started. But I gotta be honest with you, there have been way too many moments in my Christian life where I've had a similar experience. Where I wanted to really, I wanted to get somewhere. I had a destination in mind. I said, God, I want to work on this behavior in my life, or I want to work on this relationship, or I want to work on this mindset, and I want to grow out of the place that I'm at right now, and I want to grow into a better place. I, I want to move forward. I want to experience forward movement in my life. And so I put in all this effort, and I put in all this hard work, and I'm thinking it's really going to pay off, but then I find myself back in the same behavior, back in the same mindset, back in the same uh, negative relationship cycle, and I, go to my, and I think to myself, this was a lot of work for no reason. And I don't know about you, but the only word I can come up with that describes the feeling of that moment is stuck. Right? Have you ever felt stuck? You stuck in a relationship, stuck in a in a in a pattern of a bad decision making, and you look at it, and you just go, "Why is it that I keep ending up right at this place? No matter how hard I try, no matter how hard I work." And in this series, we've been trying to talk about how to get unstuck. That's why we called the series Breakout. We're talking about what it takes to get out of those dead-end patterns. But as we close out this series, we want to just recap it by talking about the steps that God gives us to get unstuck. So listen, if you're in this room and you feel stuck in an area of your life, you need to grab a piece of paper or a pad, something around you, grab one of the envelopes in front of you, take a pen out. We're gonna, I'm going to give you three steps that God gives us to get unstuck in life. And these are going to be powerful and they're going to be helpful. And I hope that it will help you feel like you're actually getting some traction uh, in your world and in your life and in your family. Let's do a quick review, shall we? Let's talk about how we got to this point in the series. Um, in case you haven't been with us so far, we've been talking about the children of Israel or the Israelites. They were for a long time in slavery in Egypt. They were under the Pharaoh's thumb. It was a bad situation for them. They wanted God to rescue them, and God called them out of Egypt under Moses' leadership. Now, that's an oversimplification. There's a lot of story there, but we just don't have the time to cover it. So they end up, in the, they, they end up headed from Egypt to a land that God said he was going to give them. It was a good land. It was the, what was called the promised land, and God was going to take them into this land, and he got them very close, and then God said, I want you to take 12 guys, send them over into the, the new land, have them scope it out, and come back and bring a report. And as you recall from, from when we began this series, you have 12 spies. Ten of them come back and say, yes, it is a good land. There's a lot of good stuff going on over there, but it's very heavily armed. If we go over there, they're going to squash us like bugs. We're best off just not even going in at all. Now, 10 of these guys, I mean, coming back, giving this kind of a negative report to two and a half million people, mob mentality's taking over, everybody's getting very, very upset, they're wanting to replace Moses, elect a new leader, go back to Egypt, they want to stone Joshua and Caleb, that's a bad day for them, right? They want to, by the way, and this is a talk for a completely other day, but I tell you what, I tell you what, the easiest way to get on the wrong side of somebody is to bring them a message that they're uncomfortable with. Joshua and Caleb brought the, the, those 2.5 million people a message that, yes, this is going to be difficult, but God wants us to do it. The way to get on the wrong side of that group of people is to give them a message that they don't want to hear, but that's, like I said, a talk for another day. So anyhow, the people decide they don't want to go in and take the promised land. They don't want to follow God's directions. They don't want to go into Canaan. 
So God wants to wipe, wipe them out, start over. He tells Moses, I'd, I'd just as soon start over with you, start a new nation of people that will do what I ask him to do. And Moses says, please don't do that. And after this back and forth exchange between Moses and God, God finally says, you know what, I'll let them live, uh, but I'm not going to let them into the promised land. And, and, and this is, again, just a basic principle for life. God does not take us to new places when we still have old attitudes. And so God wasn't going to take uh, the children of Israel into this new place with this old attitude. So he says, I'm going to let all of these adults who didn't want to go into the land, I'm going to let them just wander around in the wilderness until they die off. And then their kids, when they're grown up, will go in and take the promised land. So that's kind of where we pick up uh, uh, today in our message. And by the way, I, I want to just take a, a couple minutes talking about this wandering business, the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. And, and just to, to, to understand the scope of how crazy it is to not be getting anywhere for 40 years. If the Israelites, and I'm not saying that they did, but if the Israelites walked 2.5 miles a day, right? Uh, let's make it five days a week. So we give them Saturday and Sunday off as, as, as uh, days off. And then, you know, we'll give them Christmas and Thanksgiving as holidays, even though neither existed at the time. But we'll say five days a week, they walked 2.5 miles a day for 40 years. They would have walked more than the circumference of the globe. They would have walked the distance, more than the distance it would take to walk the same distance that covers the, all the way around the world. So this is a long time of getting nowhere. And, and let's talk for a minute, shall we, about what was this wandering thing all about? Because God prescribed it, yes? This was, this, God said, I'm going to make you wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So what was this about? Because it seems like a pretty severe punishment. Well, I think part of it was punishment. I think part of it was God saying, you made this bad decision, now here's the consequences of it. I think that was a small part of it. I think the big part of the wandering experience was a corrective action. It was something that God had to do to fix a problem. See, God's people had developed a, a stubborn spirit. They had stubbornness had taken root in their life. And I know nobody else in this room has this problem, but I have the problem of stubbornness sometimes, right? Where I think that I know what is best for me, and I know what I need to do to, to, to get where I want to be in life, and so I have it all planned out. And then God comes to me and kind of nudges me and says, Jonathan, that's actually the wrong direction. I want you to go do this. And I say, well, thank you, God. I appreciate the input. It's very nice of you to talk to me about it. But I really would still like to go in the direction that I want to go, and I still press on and do what I want to do. And unfortunately, the children of Israel had this attitude in spades. I mean, God would come to them and say, here's what you need to do. And they would say, well, th thanks for the input, but no thanks. This is what we're going to do. And so this was a big problem because here's the thing. God wants us to reach our destiny in life, but he can only help us reach our destiny if we'll do what he asks us to do. We'll be talking about that a little more here in just a few minutes. And so God had to deal with that attitude of stubbornness. Now, here's the thing, and this is important for us all to grasp. The only thing, the only cure that I know of for a, a, a set uh, a, a habit of stubbornness in a person's heart is a protracted period of getting nowhere. Because you can't talk to a stubborn person. By definition, they cannot be reasoned with. By definition, you cannot, have, you cannot have a corrective conversation with them because they are stubborn. They'll push back against you. And so eventually, the only kind of pushback a stubborn person understands is constant pushback from life circumstances. They're going to have to hit that wall and hit that wall and hit that wall and walk around in circles and walk around in circles and walk around in circles until eventually they go, this is crazy. Right? Remember what we say is the definition of craziness? You've heard this from tons and tons of sources. The definition of craziness is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And eventually a person who keeps hitting that wall over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, they go, you know what, this is crazy, and I've got to, I'm, something internally has got to change. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? 
Remember how the, the son says to the dad, I, you know, you're not dying fast enough for me. I just as soon have my inheritance now. And he goes off and he lives in a, in a faraway country and he does a bunch of things the father would never approve of. He spends all his money, ends up in a, in a, in a destitute situation. He's working for this farmer, feeding pigs, a job no, no self-respecting Jewish boy would do. And, and as he's doing that job, what does the Bible say happened? What does Jesus say happened in the story? He says, and then he came to his senses. That's what happens when a stubborn person hits the wall enough times that eventually the heart problem shifts, and what was pride transitions into humility. See, God has done this to me before, where I've had moments where I had this pride thing, and I thought I knew what was best for me, and I pushed back against God, and I pushed back, and I pushed back, but I hit the wall enough times that eventually I said, God, you know what? Apparently, I don't know what's right for me. Apparently, you do, so now it's time for me to listen to you. And the reason that this was so important for the children of Israel is because he needed to weed this out with the new generation. If you read through the story of the Israelites, the one thing you gotta, you gotta say about this group of people up to this point in time is that the Israelites were professional whiners and they were professional blame shifters. Do you have somebody like this in your life? Do you have somebody in your life for whom nothing is their fault? Ever, 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 anything that they go through, any, any trouble that they experience is somebody else's fault. You know, it's, it's their parents' fault. It's the world's fault. It's the president's fault. It's the economy's fault. Everything is someone else's fault. Well, with the Israelites, it was always either Moses' fault, it was God's fault, or it was the desert's fault. It never was something, it was not ever, we did wrong, we did, we did the wrong thing, and this is why we're experiencing this. It, it, it would take a ton of trouble for them to ever get to that point. Usually it was, well, this is Moses' fault. And so what God needed is he needed a generation for which that spirit had been weeded out. He needed a generation of people who were willing to, to connect their actions with consequences. He needed a generation of people who were willing to get online with what God said instead of spending so much time in their heads analyzing why everybody else was trying to sabotage them. So even though these kids had to walk around listening to their parents blame God and listening to their parents have counterproductive attitudes, the one thing these kids got was that what their parents were doing wasn't working. They saw their parents walking around, walking around, hitting the wall, hitting the wall. And, the one, and I think the one reason that this generation broke out was that they had to look at their parents and go, well, this much we know, that doesn't work. So I believe God prescribed this season of, of wandering so that the heart would change. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, this is after the, that older generation died off. God came to Moses, and this is what he said. Moses said, the Lord said to me, you have been wandering around in this hill country long enough, turn to the north. I was talking to my dad about this last message in the series, and we were talking about some different passages we might look at. And uh, he said, you know, the one regret I have about the series is that I wish we'd spent a whole week on this passage where God said, uh, you've, you've been wandering around long enough. And so that's what we decided to do is I, I said, well, you know, I'll just do that. I'll go ahead and take this last week and we'll, we'll focus on that verse. So think about this. God is coming to a group of people and he's saying, look, you don't have a heart problem anymore. I'm no longer forcing you to wander around so that the heart issue will get resolved. The, the spirit of stubbornness is gone. Now there's a spirit of humility. Now it's time to go take on your destiny. And that's what we're going we're gonna to talk about, the directions that God gives them. I said we're going to give you three directions for how to get unstuck. This is what God said uh, when he starts talking to this generation where there's no longer a heart problem. Here's the first thing God calls us to do when we want to get unstuck. The first thing we're to do is to leave the place of dysfunction. Leave the place of dysfunction. Look at this in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, Moses continued, Then the Lord said to us, Get moving. 
crossed the Zered Brook, so we crossed the brook. God said, get moving. Now, why would God find it necessary to tell this group of people to, to get moving? Why does he have to be the person that comes to them and says, all right, now it's time for you to go take on your destiny? When we go through a season of stubbornness and we're digging that rut, going in circles, not getting anywhere, we're developing habits. They're, they're habits that tend to stay with us so that even when our heart softens, even when the stubbornness goes away, there can still be a problem. We might not have a heart problem anymore, but we might have a hangover problem from the habits that we developed when we were stubborn. And so I think what God, even symbolically perhaps, what God is saying is, hey, the rut that you've been digging, right, it's, it's, a, it's a hangover habit. Walking around in a circle is a hangover habit. It's something that you've just done your whole life, and it's how, it's, how you've gotten used to, to going about your everyday. But now it's a time to get moving. Now it's a time to leave the place of dysfunction. Now it's a time to go take on your destiny. It's interesting. I'd never really thought about it before doing this message, but I know people. There are people in my life that I know there's no heart problem anymore. I know that they have tremendous humility on the inside and a tremendous desire to follow God, and they get so discouraged when they still hit some of the same old walls, but it's not a heart problem. It's, it's just a hangover problem. It's a habit that was developed during a period of stubbornness that now needs to get dealt with, but getting past that means leaving the place of dysfunction there because you will never find your destiny in the place of dysfunction. I'm talking to somebody this weekend who would, who would say to me, Jonathan, you know what? I, I struggle with alcoholism. You know, I, I, I've never been able to, to, to keep my drinking to a very a minimal thing. It's always out of control. When I start drinking, it gets out of control. It, it affects my life. It affects my family. It affects, affects uh, you know, my job. And I, I've, I've got I've to kick that habit. I've got to get rid of it. Uh, I don't want that in my life anymore. But, you know, my friends all like to hang out at this bar where, where I like to hang out. And, you know, it's kind of like Toby Keith says, we love this bar. We, we go, we hang out, we spend time there. It's, it's, and, and, and so I really am not ready to let go of that yet. So I am going to kick the alcoholism. That's going to happen. But I'm not going to stop going to that bar. And I'm going to tell you, it's very unlikely you're going to find your destiny that way. Because you don't find your destiny in the place of dysfunction. God always calls us out of the place where the dysfunction happens. Or there would be somebody in this room who would say, you know what, Jonathan, I struggle with uh, internet pornography. And, and, and by the way, let me just call it out for what it is. That's not okay. It's not okay. Not only does God say it's not okay, but there's gobs of science now that says that pornography hijacks the male brain. So whether you look at science or you look at God's opinion, either way, it's not cool. And you'd be saying, you know what, Jonathan, I really don't want that in my life anymore. I, I really don't. I, I want to kick it to the curb. I want to get this out of my life. It's, it's not helpful. It's not productive. It's turning toxic. And, uh, but... Every time my wife suggests to me that we get rid of the computer that's in my basement office, it's kind of out of the main uh, thoroughfare of the house, it's kind of just my own private space, I really don't appreciate that because, Jonathan, that, that is, that's my private space. That's for my me time. You know, when I need me time, that's where I go. That's where I hang out. And so I don't want to get rid of that computer. But I'm just saying, God may be calling you to leave the place of your dysfunction. That computer may need to hit the curb along with the pornography just because God always needs us to make that first step where we leave where the dysfunction happens. <clears throat> there might be somebody in this room who would say, you know what, Jonathan, I'm finding myself uh, getting a little too close to the edge, doing a little inappropriate flirting with somebody over Facebook that, you know, was a, 
former classmate or former boyfriend or girlfriend, and it's, you know, it's, it's weird. I, I feel the lines getting crossed, and it's weird, but it's a good weird. No, it's not a good weird. It's a bad weird, right? And, and I'm not saying Facebook is bad and everybody ought to get rid of Facebook, but I am saying if Facebook is the place of your dysfunction, you need to leave the place of your dysfunction because your destiny is not there. I don't have time to tell this story, but I do remember talking to a couple really early on in my time at, 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 at New Spring where, you know, we had our normal session talking about marital issues. And then they asked me at the end of the session, Jonathan, can we ask you a question about a, a spiritual problem? That's uh, always a very interesting setup. Uh, and I said, well, well sure, yeah, what, what's your question? I said, well, we struggle with envy. Can you give us any, any biblical advice for what to do about uh, envy? Because, you know, our, our, you know our, our neighbors have nicer cars than we do, and our neighbors have nicer houses. We have the cheapest house in the block, and everybody around us has nicer stuff. And we, we pay attention to everybody else's stuff, and then we, say, we get discouraged, and we get depressed, and we're like, when is God going to give us nice stuff like everybody else has? Jonathan, can you give us some spiritual counsel for how to deal with envy? And I'm, you know, a young preacher boy. I'm trying to give him some verses about, about this, you know, and they're getting ready to leave. I says, you got big plans for the rest of the day? Oh yeah, we're going to the spring parade of homes. I said, oh yeah, you in the market for a house? Oh no, we just like to go walk through the big models, right? I'm going to go, what, you crazy? Right? You just told me that spending time around stuff that's nicer than what you have makes you feel envious, and now you're going to go walk through big model homes that you can never afford. God calls us to leave the place of dysfunction because our destiny is not going to be there. Could even be, by the way, for some of us, it's not a place place that we need to leave. For some of us, it's a mindset. I'll tell you a struggle for me. A mindset that I get stuck in, that I need to break out of, is, is kind of a negative self-talk mindset, where I tell myself discouraging things about myself, where I, I think to myself, you know, you're probably a failure, or this person probably thinks this about you, or you're probably not going to succeed at this. And, and I end up in a place where God cannot take me to my destiny because I have convinced myself that I can't go there because of me. And God is saying, look, you got to leave the place of your dysfunction. You're going to have to leave that unproductive mindset. And that's just one example. <clears throat> there are lots of mindsets that we can get trapped in. I'm a, I'm a fan of neuroscience. I'm fascinated by it. I'm not an expert. I'm not even smart when it comes to this. We have a lot of experts in neuroscience at New Spring. That, uh, one specific who's a friend of mine that I love to pick his brain and ask him questions. Um, but neuroscience has taught us something about something called neural pathways. I'm very interested in this. Neural pathways are ways that our brain develops specific structures to take on specific tasks. And these are tasks that we've repeated over and over again. Our brain figures, hey, we're going to probably do this a lot. So it begins to develop specific structures for it. For instance, I play the piano. When I first learn a new piece, it's kind of awkward and you're paying a lot of attention to the specific notes and the way that the piece is structured. But if you play that piece enough, eventually it's almost as though your fingers remember the piece and you sit down to play Play it, you don't even think about it. Or if you work in manufacturing and you assemble a product, you probably would say, you know, Jonathan, when I first started, my first couple days at work, I really did think about each piece and how they fit together. But now I go to work and I do, I do all this assembly. I don't even think about it. It just comes as second nature. And so here's what brain science has taught us. Brain science is teaching us that if you do something enough times, eventually it becomes second nature and you do it without thinking. Let me say that again. And think about this in terms of angry habits, mindset habits, place habits. Science tells us if you do something enough times, it eventually becomes second nature and you do it without thinking. 
Why would God have to get the people to leave a place of dysfunction? Because putting one foot in front of the other in that rut had become second nature and they were doing it without thinking. And eventually God says, hey, you got to break out of that. So how, how, how do you do that? Well, here's the other cool thing that brain science has taught us. Brain science teaches us that when we begin to practice something new, even though it may be awkward at first and it may be something we have to think about step by step, it will eventually overwrite those old pathways and we'll begin to do this new thing that we're practicing and it will become second nature. So for instance, if you were to ask me a piece to play a piece on the piano, that I, I used to know by heart four years ago, I'm gonna have a real tough I'm gonna have a real tough time doing that because I've learned new pieces since then, right? So what God is calling us to do is God is calling us to lay down some new mental track. God is saying, hey, don't get stuck in that rut. Make a choice to start practicing a new way of doing things so that it can overwrite the old pattern. That's why God says that we're to be transformed. How, remember how God says we're to be transformed? By the renewing of our minds, by laying down some new mental tracks. All right, so here's, here's point number two. Wow, I'm running out of time. Here's point number two. God calls us when we're stuck to follow his directions. Look at this in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 through 14. Moses says, and now Israel, what does the Lord God, your God, require of you? This is a good question. What does God want from me? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God, that means respect him, and live in a way that pleases him, and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. And now check this out. You must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees. That means follow God's directions that I'm giving you today. Why? To make God happy? To make you a better person? No. He says, I want you to follow God's directions. Why? For your own good. Moses is saying, if you want to reach your destiny, then you need to follow God's directions. Following God's directions is so that you can get to where God wants to take you. Here at New Spring, we believe that one of God's qualities is that he is omniscient. That means that God knows everything. He not, not only knows everything about eternity past, he knows everything about the future. That means that God knows exactly what you're capable of. God knows what your capacity is, what, what you could accomplish with his, with his guidance and with his strength. And not only does God know what you're capable of, he knows how to get you there. I, um, I like to travel with GPS. I have my phone now. Now it's, on, now it's on my phone. I don't have to take the little GPS thing with me anymore. But, I, you know, I rent a car, and I turn on the GPS, and I ask Siri how to get where I need to go. And uh, Siri's always very helpful. Um, but now, recently, I've traveled some with my wife, and now I have uh, two women in the car. And <laughs> Wendy's very practical. See, when the hotel is right there to the right, and, and Siri says turn to the left, now I've got an issue because Wendy says, well, the hotel's right there. Just turn right. And Siri's saying turn left. And I've got to decide which woman, to, which woman to listen to. And, and Wendy teases me about this because I get a little defensive of Siri. You know, you should never defend the electronic lady in the car, just so you know. <laughs> and I say, well, Siri, but I, but I say, well, Siri knows all the streets. And, and Siri knows all of, all of the turns and all that stuff. So if Siri says we need to go left, then we need to go left. And Wendy says the hotel is right there, Right? We can turn into the parking lot right here. Right here is where you turn. And I'm like, yes, but Siri says turn left, right? But I do. I have blind faith in it because I think that GPS knows everything and can tell me where I need to go. Now, there have been some epic fails in that department, such as the hotel is on the right experience. But... God will never fail you in this. God truly does know where every path is, and he truly does know where you need to go, and he truly can give you turn-by-turn turn directions to get you to where you need to be. The question is, how are you in terms of, where, where's your mindset? Are you okay with following God's directions when he gives them, even when it doesn't exactly coordinate with where you think you need to go? I just want to 
walk you through something really quick. We could spend 10 minutes on this, but we're not. I'm just going to fly over it. But just to make sure that we're clear on this, God not only knows everything that you need, God owns everything. Look at this, Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You say, Jonathan, I'm a homeowner. Well, in a sense you are, but God actually owns your home. And if you're renting, that's really good news, right? God actually owns your home. God owns your car. God owns everything that's in your wallet right now. Everything the Bible says that is in the earth belongs to God. He's got access to it anytime he wants, and God can resource you with anything that he sees fit to resource you with. So not only does God know where you need to go, God has everything that you could possibly use to get to where you need to be. And then I love this. Not only are those things true, God actually wants to take you where you need to be. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And then keep in mind now, he's talking to a group of people that are stuck right now. He's talking to a group of people in Jeremiah that, that are in captivity. And he says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, so if you follow my directions, you will find me and I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity. So he's saying, I will get you unstuck and I will restore your fortunes. So that's a pretty big deal. God not only knows where you need to go, he has what you need to have, and he wants to take you there. Can I take a quick sidetrack? I don't even have time for this, but I want to read this to you. Deuteronomy chapter 11, this is in verse 18. This is Moses talking to God's people. He says, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Now, some of y'all in here are parents, and I just want you to take a minute and really focus in, because what I'm getting ready to say is something that, we, that all of us who have kids need to hear, including myself. We need to be very, 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 very cautious about allowing God conversations and talking about God to be only a church thing and to be awkward in our homes. Because what Moses is telling God's people is he's saying, listen, if you want God to fast track your family's destiny, you need to make God the frame in which your family sits. That means that, and, and by the way, when he says the things that he wants you to keep talking to your kids about, the two things. He's saying, I want you to talk to your kids about how good God is and, how about, how, and about how important it is to follow God's directions. So he's saying, hey, when, you, when, when your kids are getting ready for bed at night and you get ready to kiss them on the forehead and put them to bed, make sure that you remind them how good God is and make sure that you remind them that how important it is to follow God's instructions. And, and, he's, and, and, and when you get in the car in the morning and you're getting ready to go to school, make sure that you're talking about how good God is and how important it is to follow God's instructions. And when you pick them up from school and you're taking them home and one of your kids tells you that they got an A on the test, that's when we say, let's thank God for making you so smart and able to do so well on the test and for helping you be diligent to study. And when one of your kids says that somebody was, was mean with them at school, that's an opportunity to say, well, let's pray to God to help you know what to do in this situation. And by the way, let's pray for that kid because they must be going through a tough time. What, what, what Moses is saying, if you want to fast track your destiny, let your family sit in the frame of God's love and God's direction. Because if your kids can get this, there will be a generation that changes the world. Amen. So we've got to take this to our houses. We can't just leave it at church. All right, I said there were three things. Here's the third one. The third thing God calls us to do, he calls us to fight the battle that's surrounding our destiny. I remember talking to another couple. This has, again, been 
right after I started being here at New Spring. And this, this guy was in my office, and his wife was with him. He was telling me about the substance abuse problem that he had. It was a pretty severe problem. He tried several things to, to break out of that pattern. It hadn't worked so far. And it was kind of destroying the relationship. And they asked for my recommendation. And I said, well, you know, I'm not a therapist, but my gut reaction says it would probably be a good thing to consider inpatient treatment, probably some sort of inpatient uh, rehabilitation program. And he looked at me, and he said, eh, that doesn't sound like much fun to me. <laughs> and I thought, yeah. Now, because our destiny is not surrounded by an amusement park. Our destiny is surrounded by a battleground. I mean, check this out, Ephesians 6.12, where the Bible says we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Listen, Satan is not going to let you just walk straight into your destiny without a fight. Satan understands that if you were really actually able to access your full potential, if you could get a clean shot at that, you by yourself could change the world. Just you, individually, you could change the world if you got a clear shot at your destiny. So he's not going to just hand that over to you. He's not going to let you have that easily. You know the number one reason people don't reach their full potential is that they don't know how to interpret resistance. See, stubborn people don't know how to interpret resistance. They keep breaking up against the wall because they don't recognize that the reason that they're going up against the wall is because they're not following God's instructions. So they keep, they, they keep pushing into the resistance when they should stop and back up. But then there's others of us who don't have a heart problem, and we are following God. And when God gives us instructions, we are following them. But we experience resistance, and we think it's a stop sign. No, resist, when you're following God's instructions, resistance is not a stop sign. It is a sign that you have reached the doorstep of your destiny. You are almost there. You have almost gotten to your full potential, but Satan has painted a target on you because he does not want you there. And so you are in the middle of a battle for your life to experience your full potential, but it's a good sign. So that resistance just means, hey, keep going, keep fighting, because you're almost there. Have you ever thought about the fact that a rut, by definition, is the path of least resistance? Satan will do everything that he can to make your destiny uncomfortable and to make your rut comfortable. But there's a time when God comes to you and says, this is long enough, you've wandered long enough, it's time to, time to move towards your future. As I close out the service and tell you a little bit about my own story, and I think I've told this story a little bit once at New Spring, I don't know. But um, when, when Wendy and I first got married, I really felt the call of God in my life to go into ministry. And I, every, every once in a while I have somebody say, well, how do, how do I know if I'm called to ministry? And I always say, well, you'll know. It's, it's a pretty clear and, and, and definite thing. And, uh, but I did not want to go into ministry. I had some kind of goofy reasons for that. I suppose if you really need to know, you can ask me later and I'll tell you what they are. But I, I really did not want to go into ministry. And so I decided to take a different path. I told my wife, I said, I think I really want to become an automotive mechanic. Uh, so uh, we went to Wyoming to one of the best automotive tech schools in the country and I graduated there. Keep in mind, before I went there, I barely had just learned how to change my oil, right? Uh, I grew up in a family where we didn't do a lot of automotive repairs, and so I was just barely starting to learn how to do things. I go to, I go to Wyoming, I study this, and I get, you know, I graduate, start working in a mechanic shop, uh, and I did not like the car industry at all. My wife can vouch for the fact that I was constantly unhappy um, in the automotive service industry. And I remember being in my time at, uh, at WyoTech and, and telling Wendy, I said, I just, I'm not, this is, this is not right for me. I'm, I'm running away from God. God has called me to the ministry and I'm choosing to run a different way. That wasn't a good conversation. 
after you take your wife halfway across, traipsing, half, traipsing halfway across the country to go to school, you know, in a 400 square foot apartment for nine months for you to study automotive technology, and then you tell her towards the end, I think I, I don't think we're supposed to be here anyhow, right? That was that was not a very positive conversation. Um, but I'll tell you, for six years I worked in the automotive industry, wandering, just going through the same rut because I had chosen when God had when God had given me a clear instruction, I'd chosen to say no. And there came a moment where the stubborn spirit shifted and it became a humble spirit. And in 2006, uh, I took Wendy's hand and we walked down the aisle. We were at a more traditional church there, First Baptist Church of Edmond, Oklahoma, and they had what they call, what they call an altar call where people come forward at the end of the service and make decisions. And I, I took Wendy's hand and we walked down and, and I talked to, to Dr. Alan Day, who was our pastor, and I said, Dr. Day, I don't know what this means, but I, 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 I want to surrender my life to ministry and I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm making this decision. A little bit of time passed where nothing really happened and kind of waiting for God to do something, keeping in mind that when God gives me an opportunity, I, I was determined to say yes. And I got a phone call from the church, and they said, we've got a, a part-time position that's opened up. It's in the music staff, and uh, it's, it's not a whole lot of hours, but it's a ministry opportunity, and the pay was not good. And uh, there were no benefits, and... Yet, I had a sense in my spirit that God was saying, you've said no long enough, you've wandered long enough, it's time to say yes. So, ridiculously, I said, yeah, I'll take it. Uh, but I said, you know, I'm, I've got to find another part-time job with benefits that I can stack onto this job so that I can, I can provide for my family. And I said, so you're going to have to give me at least a month where I can try to figure out what to do here. And they said, yeah, we, we think we can do that. So uh, I'm starting to look for a part-time job with benefits. There aren't a lot of those. Where that landed me was in the Oklahoma City Distribution Center for UPS, where they load semis with boxes. And that was the position they were hiring for. So I was in this group of applicants um, to, you know, to load semis. And I know those of you, especially at the very back of the floor here and at the very back of the upstairs there, you can't exactly tell that I'm not incredibly buff, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not. Trust me. And so I'm sitting here in this room with all these other applicants, many of whom could snap me like a twig. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't belong here. And keeping in mind, I had just worked a 10-hour day uh, at, at, you know, at the Honda Drive, and, and I was tired. You have to apply during the shift that you're applying for, so it was close to midnight, and I'm here in this room applying for this job, and they're telling us how hard it is and how heavy the boxes are and how you have to stack them a certain way, and I'm no good at puzzles. And I'm really stressing out because I'm thinking, I can't do this job. I'm, I'm going to be doing this job. I'm going to pass out the first night. Everybody's going to make fun of me, and you know, I'm gonna, it's going to be a bad deal. And uh, so as I'm sitting there, and they basically said, and, and, and I don't mean this as a slant, it was, they, were, they were gracious to do this, but they said, do not hand this application in if you don't think you can handle this job. And I thought, boy, if there ever was an invitation for me to just get up and walk out the door, that was it. But it was like, I felt like God was tugging on me saying, you know, Jonathan, we've had this conversation. You've said no long enough. It's time for you to start saying yes. So I signed my name on the application, and I turned it in thinking, you know, I, and I told God, I said, if they call me back in this next month, because they said they would call back within a month. I said, if they call back in the, in the next month, I'll, I'll say yes, you know, and I'll leave my job and I'll, I'll do these two jobs. And uh, so the month passed and they didn't call. I, I have a hunch they looked at me and said, no. Um, but I was pretty discouraged because that didn't work out. And, you know, a little bit more time passed. And I was thinking I was getting ready to lose this job open at the church because it was taking so long. And I got a phone call from one of the pastors on staff there 
uh, out of the blue, and he said, you know, Jonathan, something weird has kind of happened here. We've gotten this really huge donation, and part of it was earmarked for a broadcasting ministry, a television ministry, and we remembered that you uh, were a broadcasting major in college. Is that right? And I said, yeah, I was a broadcasting major. And they said, well, how would you feel about a full-time job with benefits where you would come and do both the music stuff that we asked you to do and the broadcasting stuff that we now need somebody to do? You know, we didn't even know till today that this position was going to be open, but how would you feel about doing that? Now, I'll tell you, it was still a step of faith. It was still a giant pay cut, and it was still a, a big adjustment. But I have never doubted since that day that if you say yes to God, he will take you to your destiny. I mean, in 2006, when I'm sitting in that little UPS classroom, sitting at a desk, filling out an application, I didn't see myself here today. But God knew what my destiny was, and he knew how to, he knew how to take me there, just like God knows what your destiny is, and he knows how to take you there. He's just coming up to you and saying, listen, are you willing to leave the place of your dysfunction because this isn't where your destiny is? Are you willing to follow my directions because I know how to get you where you're willing to go? And are you willing to fight the battle because Satan is not going to be cool with this? But if you're willing to do those things, God can get you to your full potential. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love and thank you for your guidance in helping us reach the future that you have for us. Heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. I don't want to let this service pass without giving you an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ. We're in overtime, but my, my spirit is just connected in a way with God where I feel like God is saying, this is a time to ask this question because there are going to be some people in this room who are saying, this is my time. I'm ready to accept Jesus Christ. I don't want you to leave without knowing how to do that. I'm going to say the words to a very simple prayer. You can follow along with this silently in your head if you'd like, and it'll be settled once and for all. Here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you want me to be unstuck. Thank you for dying for me. I choose to believe in you. I know I've done wrong things. I know I'm not good enough to get to heaven. So I accept your free gift of forgiveness. I ask you to make me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody look this way just for a moment. If you just prayed that prayer with me, do me a favor, would you? Would you take that talk to us card, check the box that says, I prayed to receive Christ, take it to guest services. They have a little packet that they like to give you before you leave. Thank you so much for being with us. Next week we start Come Back.